Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey everyone, welcome into Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer podcast. I'm Lisa Roman, CBS Sports host and NWSL analyst, alongside Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBSSports.com. As March comes to a close, we at Attacking Third are still celebrating Women's History Month. We're rolling out our final episode in our special series, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Title IX, our Title IX Tuesday episode. So each Tuesday, we spoke with incredible women and, and just true game changers in their fields, athletes, Olympians, executives, trailblazers, the list goes on. As a quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. And if you're listening as a podcast, please give us a five-star rating and review. It just takes a second and it really helps us out. And if you liked the Title IX Tuesday series, drop us a comment on Apple Podcasts with a five-star review telling us what you liked, uh, your favorite guests, and, and what you learned from these incredible women. Today on the show, we have some sports media executives that we chatted with up first is Sarah Kustoff, who is the NBA analyst for the Brooklyn Nets. She talks about the hope for the future, for future generations in sports media. She gives advice to young people and she discusses her different roles, being a sideline reporter, a studio host, an analyst, a game analyst, and how those different roles helped shape her. So take a listen. Here's Sarah Kustoff. Hello and welcome back to Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. Welcome back to Title IX Tuesdays. I'm Sandra Herrera, joined by Lisa Roman. We have chatted already with a handful of incredible women who are true game changers in their field, soccer, basketball executives, so many different folks. Today, we are very lucky to be joined by another incredible trailblazer in sports media from CBS Sports Networks. We need to talk. You can hear her voice on NBA games, former sideline reporter and now NBA analyst. First solo female TV analyst for the NBA. We are so excited to welcome my Chicago homegirl to the show, Sarah Kusak. Welcome, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me, Sandra, Lisa. This is such a pleasure. I, I really appreciate it. We're hyped to, to chat with you. You know, we're all we were, we were really excited about this particular interview because it's like we're thinking about it. We're like, gosh, we're all women in, in sports media here. And we're so thrilled to be speaking with you, not just only for your career, but just obviously because there's a lot of common threads here amongst the three of us. Uh, you and Lisa both playing in the Big East Conference, Marquette, DePaul. I'm based in Chicago. I watched you on Comcast Sportsnet Chicago when you were covering Bulls, Hawks, White Sox, you name it all. Uh, so we were just hyped to get you on the show, and especially in light of us celebrating 50 years of Title IX. So we'll kick things off here with that. For you personally, what does, uh, what does Title IX uh, mean for, for Sarah Kustak? It means everything. It means everything. Um, most notably opportunity, 
And I think we continue to see how opportunities grow and what that means. Um, and so many of us have the capabilities uh, to be able to do as general as it is, whatever we want in life. And sometimes that comes down to sports. But I think the thing with Title IX, it's not just I think we think about it with sports. It's education related to uh, funding for research and um, just the different avenues that individuals want to go down to in terms of what they want to accomplish in their careers. And so, you know, I look back, I tell the story often and it, it definitely dates me um, and makes me feel old. But when when I was younger, uh, and this isn't just Title IX related, but I was I played on boys teams mostly through middle school and then into junior high um, because there was a lack of girls programs. And so a lot of what I did, and I think it, it certainly in many ways benefited my my skills and my basketball career. And I appreciate um, the. Uh, warm embrace of so many individuals and especially at that time um, to be able to play on those teams and whether it was basketball or whether it was baseball. Um, but now you look at the numbers and the stats of young girls pay, playing sports compared to what it looked like before. And I credit so much of who I am, what I am, not just, you know, in sports media, but in general as a person, the characteristics that sports help instill in you. And to me, that's why I love, I love to see the opportunities for young girls for junior high, high school, those that advance on to college um, to be able to have that avenue um, to help grow themselves, not only as athletes, but as individuals. And so, um, you know, Title IX, Title IX is everything. And I appreciate us celebrating it. And I am so grateful and so thankful for those who really fought um, to put this into action and to help make it happen. You said it. Opportunity is truly everything. And so much of it is, is seeing someone else in that role. We talked with a lot of different people about title nine and, and seeing someone that looks like you, that, that has a similar background as you in that type of role. Um, so we've spoken with athletes, Olympians, executives, but uh, this is sports media conversation now. And, and as a female in sports media, which is traditionally known as a male dominated industry, when, when you look back at your career, um, kind of what got you started in sports media? Why did you want to get into this field? Lisa, that's an excellent question because I did not want to until I was somehow thrown into it uh, and, and hit the ground running. I I did get my, in, in college at DePaul, I, I got my um, degree in communications, but uh, I got my master's in corporate and multicultural communication. So it was less about broadcast or less about journalism. But while I was in my fifth year finishing on my master's, I had the great opportunity um, to be essentially a production runner for ESPN in their Big Ten football games. And it was the first time that I understood exactly how a, a production came together, how a show came together in broadcasting a sporting event in being in the truck. And for me, the only thing that I ever, you know, was truly, truly driven by and passionate about with sports and playing sports and competing and the concept of, um, you know, when the ball is tipped or when the light goes on to be able to have that idea of you are competing and there's success, there's failure. And when there is failure, you learn from it, you grow from it, you're challenged, uh, the preparation that goes into it, all of that feeds, feeds my soul in a way that when I saw how a live broadcast event was put on, I'm like, man, this this is something I want to chase down. You could be a part of this and be around sports. And so that's where it triggered me to try and figure out, okay, how do I incorporate this into the path that I go down for a actual profession? 
And so those are the things about for as much as there is um, so much within the concept of broadcasting and journalism that I love, as I talked about the preparation, the research, uh, I've always loved to write, um, but it's that sporting nature and it's that adrenaline rush that you get. And it is the concept of you may have a great show and you may have a terrible show, but that drives you to get better and that drives you to grow and that challenges you. And um, I live for challenges like that to me is the essence of, of what I always want to be a part of my life, something I'm passionate about and something that challenges me. And that's exactly what sports broadcasting did. I've never heard someone articulate it um, as well and, and specifically like that because there's nothing like hearing the whistle blow at the start of a game and the adrenaline you get from that. Um, but but seeing the red light go on of a camera and knowing that you're live, it's a close second. I, I love how you articulated that. So since you got your start and, and your days as a runner with ESPN and kind of seeing the back end of it um, up until where you are now, specifically as a female on We Need to Talk, which is a women's hosted show for CBS, how have you seen the industry evolve since your start? Oh, immensely. Thank goodness, but immensely. And there's still a lot of room to grow, but I, I think we're at the point almost Um we talk so much about, I think it's, it's normal, or it had been normal to say a, a more male dominated feel. Now I, I, I turn on the TV for any, you know, whether it's sports broadcast, whether it's a game, whether, you know, it's a show in, in women are visible, they are upfront and it is all varieties of roles. And to me, that's, that's what I love most. Um, the concept of so many different roles, that are starting to be, you know, myself in the NBA in the analyst role. But now this season, we've seen females in the play-by-play role. This spans across. I know we're talking about sports broadcasting, but just being around sports in the NBA or NFL now, those on coaching staffs or sports performance teams, front office, you name it. But overall, just continuing to see um, women being able to have it be their choice to, okay, what position do I care about most? what drives me to whether it is play-by-play or whether it's an analyst role or whether it's a reporting role um, and not necessarily be shoeboxed into, oh, you're going to just do this role or this is where we're going to fit you in because this is relegated to where we think a woman should um, be in this in this show or on this broadcast. And so I think the opportunities have grown for positions. I think it's all about competency. And now it's looked at as who is the best individual to fill this, um, regardless of male or female. And I think, again, like I said, there's still steps to be taken. There's still a lot more room to grow. But I I think um, from the time I started and got into this business and to where we are now and the perception of it, the view of it, and that's what I love um, most about all of this. And I I know Sandra and Lisa, you two are are right behind this and, and probably feel the same way. I love the fact that the next generation and younger, it's not just about younger girls, you know, feeling like they could do anything they want to do or be anything they want to be in the broadcast world. Younger boys look at it the same way. You know, younger boys that talk to me about my role, they don't look and say, wait a second, you're, you're a female in this role and we're not used to, they're used to everything, you know? So growing up, it's just, it's, it's a part of what they see and it's a part and whether they like you or don't like you or think you're great or think you're garbage. <laughs> it's not because um, more often than that, or I think we're getting to that point. It's not as much about because you're a female or you're not a male or this or that, because people, I don't, if you think certain things or, you know, this is a, a very subjective business. Um, but I think we're continuing to inch towards that idea of it being less gender-based 
um, and more just on the competency or um, about the performance of, of what you do. You know, I want to maybe stay with some of this energy for for a little bit because in, in conversations uh, that we've had with other guests uh, on attacking third regarding Title IX, you know, we've discussed um, you know moments of of, of gender discrimination of, of, of uncomfortability. Um, and when you're talking a little bit about this current generation, you know, learning from the previous generation, right? Have there have there been moments in your life or career specifically where you yourself have had to experience? those moments of uncomfortability or, or, or gender discrimination specifically? That's, that's a great question. And one, uh, that I always, I always struggle to answer because in one, in one vein, I would say, yeah, like <laughs> absolutely hundreds and hundreds of times. And that's a part of it. And it's a part of, you know, I would say something that is, that I've had to deal with that many women have to deal with, um, that many individuals have to deal with in, in a variety of ways, but I also think it's something that for me, it it does not cross my mind and it hadn't crossed my mind. And I try not to let it factor in. I think back to as a kid growing up, um, you know, as I, I mentioned, I was, I played on the boys basketball team and I played in a, in a tournament in Chicago that it was, you know, all public schools, private schools. I was the first girl to play in it. I was a sixth grader, you know, it was six or seven, or I should say maybe seventh grade. So I was 13 and, you know, around, and, and I'm sure there was things that happened then being the only girl, but I, it, it wasn't about that to me. It was about, are you good enough to be on the hardwood? Are you good enough to be on this court? Are you good enough to play? And that, that to me at the end of the day was, okay, if I have the confidence to know that I deserve and I belong to be here based on uh, the skills that I have, that I'm cool with that. And that's, I think, something that has continued to be a part of me in, in all aspects, um, and in particular in this business. And I think you could look at sports broadcasting, but you, this really spans any career or any profession. I'm sure, you know, you look at a lot of them. Um, I, I think that's um, not always an easy thing to have, but I always hope for that for any young individual or any individual that is, that feels a way, like if, if you have put in the work, if you have prepared if you know that you are are good enough or belong to be in whatever area and arena, then let the noise let the noise pass you by because that um, that shouldn't matter because that's about someone else and their perspective perspective, and it shouldn't be about yours. And so, I think with that being said, I'm sure there are you know Sandra a million instances and and there are to recognize, but I think those are the things you you box up and you put to the side because you don't have time to waste on that. Things are challenging enough and hard enough and, and you got enough on your plate uh, with the work and the things that you have to do. And um, though those are the type of things that I think, you know, as you continue to grow in your career, or as you continue to just grow in general, um, trying to find ways to put those to the side um, or to handle it or to attack it um, in a way that best suits you is just things that you navigate for yourself. You know, when when you think about your own experiences and when you sort of hear these younger folks sort of coming to you, whether they're asking you for advice or whether they're asking for for support, uh, what type of advice or support would you you know give to you know a younger person if they do come and sort of maybe talk about some uncomfortabilities that they're facing within the space? Yeah, I I think it's all situationally based. The one thing I circle back to when I circle back to this a lot w with everyone is figure out what matters most to you, like figure out your, w what is most important to you. And I always say this when 
I started in this business and it, and it was one, as, as you mentioned, what I wanted to get into, like there are so many aspects of it that I was so uh, just enamored by and knew I wanted to be a part of, but there's also a lot of things in this business that I was like, oh, wait, no, like this, it's, you got to have a thick skin and you got to be ready for criticism, critique, all of that stuff. And so I learned early on, and, and this is probably something early on in life, like what matters most to me is how I treat people and the person that I am. So at the end of the day, no matter what you think about me as a broadcaster, no matter what you think about the job I did, how did I treat people and how did I treat people in the space I was around? And if I was a kind person, if I was a good person, if I, those I work with, my colleagues, those around the building, you, you name it, um, if I acted and, and treated them in a way and act in a manner and represent myself as a person I want to be, that I could wake up every morning, go to bed every night feeling good. And like I was successful in that day and everything else, you just kind of put it aside. And again, easier said than done, as you know, and maybe others won't always uh, treat you in kind or the same way back. But to me, it's it's all about just focusing on your main and what your main, main priority and my main, main priority is to do my best to lift others up or do my best um, to try and be good to others. And when that's done, then then I'm cool. And I think that's my focus. And so I would tell any other individual that's aspiring in the sports broadcasting world or anything, um, whatever you can do to focus on what matters most to you, try and focus on that. And again, it circles back to, you know, you can't always control how others treat you. You can't always control others' opinions on you or how they feel, but you can control the effort you put in. You can control the attitude you bring, the work you do, the preparation you do, and how it is that that you go about behaving around others. And you control the controllables. And after that, you, you just try and let the rest go. Sarah, you are leading the way and you are a, an acting, walking role model for a lot of young people and just people in the industry um, as the first solo female TV analyst for the NBA. What challenges or, or pushback did you face um, as the analyst in the NBA, whether it was from executives, coworkers or even fans? Yeah, you know what? I think in general, um, I think in general, it was it was positive. What I will say is the focus for me was about uh, understanding the responsibility that came with it. Mm -hmm. And so I, as I'm sure you two can tell, I'm not one to, um, to hold on to or think much about those that there was pushback or, or maybe had negative thoughts or um, acted in different ways. But what I focused on was um, the great responsibility that I was so, so excited about, humbled by and grateful for to know that hopefully this would lead to others getting the same type of opportunities and not a day goes by that I don't think about Doris Burke, Rand Myers Drysdale, or those in, in other roles or positions that were so good and worked so hard that laid the foundation to allow me this opportunity. Um, and so when I think about, you know, when I first got the job, just the responsibility of girl, you, you better put in the work and be good enough that others have this opportunity behind you and that it moves from being a novelty to more of the norm. And I think we've started to see that, like you see it across the board and whether it's game analysts, studio analysts, um, the NBA, it's, you know, it's in a lot of different roles and, and that's what I love. And so I think early on, it was just that concept, uh, because it, I did some interviews and when those first, um, 
first announced that I had the job and just different things. And then people asked about pressure or, or just kind of how that bears out in being the first in, in that situation. And it, and to me, I, that's what I said. I said, one, I, I love pressure. I, I live for pressure. That's what it's about, but it's not pressure. It's just, it's understanding the responsibility of what it meant and what it could mean for those behind you. And, and I so badly um, wanted others to be afforded the same opportunities that I was thanks to the, those before me that help afford me the opportunity and so that's the hope. That's the goal. You know, I think for all of us in this space and in this business. You know, I wanted to to ask you something, maybe a, a, or to adjacent to the NBA, uh, especially because of uh, our local ties that we share. You know, you do so much work with the NBA. Were you able to take your reporter hat off and and, and put on a fan cap at all when uh, the Chicago Sky were making a run in the playoffs for WNBA? Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. And, oh, girl, I was so I was so excited. <laughs> well, let me first say I love I was fortunate enough um, for a few seasons to call the Connecticut Sun games. Uh, I'm around with the Brooklyn Nets. I'm around the New York Liberty as well and get to go to some of their games, Chicago Sky. Additionally, I always keep tabs on for many reasons. Um, but in particular, I know Candace Parker came back and, and she was a little bit behind me uh, in high school. But Allie Quigley, uh, DePaul, my, my fellow DePaul sister, who um, I'm just so proud of her journey and her story. And in watching her, I was actually an assistant coach when she first came to DePaul. And uh, I always, I tell the story. I should stop telling the story because she's, <laughs> she's, uh, she's the best of the best, but I was her recruit. I was her host on her recruiting trip. So I would always tease Doug Bruno, the coach at DePaul and say that Allie came because, uh, because I was such a good host, which is definitely <laughs> not, not the case, but I love Allie and she's one of my favorites, but so watching her and just, um, everything about that team. And I think the most exciting part of that was just the attention and the exposure and the excitement around it. And we've really seen just how much, you know, within the course of the past couple of years with a W, how much more and more people and in, in just the support has been given now, hopefully more dollars being poured into it. But I just think across, you know, across so many levels, you see just how much excitement and especially the hometown team and the sky. And as I said, with, with Allie and the DePaul ties and all of those things, I was just was so much fun to watch and, and so cool um, to just really get a grasp of, of what that meant, not only uh, for the organization, but for the city. So Sandra got to ask her fun Chicago question. Now I get to ask my fun question that, that I'm so curious about. You've worn so many different hats, NBA, WNBA, MLB, uh, sideline reporter, analyst, host, and, and you talked about how you like a challenge. Which role for you is the most challenging in, in sports media? Ooh. Um, I, I will still say, I would roll, first of all, in terms of sport, like that's the, to me, that, that especially early on in my career, when I started getting into media, a lot of it was basketball based or football based one that was my background. And I actually started in a lot of analyst roles with like high school basketball, mm -hmm. um, the Illinois high school boys and girls state championships. And, and then, um, the, I just say same football championships, but, um, then I, I I did indoor lacrosse, MLS, like covering the Blackhawks. I had never before, and that was such a a major part of my growth in the profession. But covering 
the Blackhawks in hockey and then working for ver- versus um, doing some national uh, NHL games. I had never, to be honest, I never really watched the NH- NHL, didn't know a lot about it. So with a lot of those sports and games, like just to me, the big challenges are when you're somewhat comfortable with a game and a sport, but then you start to cover it and you're like, there are so many nuances and details and just the deep diving. And so the, the questions and the conversations and how much appreciation you have for coaches that are willing to give you more insight, players that are giving you more insight, the more you watch, the more you talk to others around those leagues. Um, one, I, I, I think a challenge when you're covering a different sport that you're not as familiar with. But in terms of roles, I still to this, I think sideline reporting is the most challenging because you need to know everything mm-hmm. about everyone. You need to have all this information. You need to have all these stories. Um, and you will probably use 3% of oh, all the work <laughs> the hours. Yeah. 3% would be better. And so not only that, but then tack on the fact of, okay, you're going to do this and you got 15 seconds to, yeah. to, to you have an amazing story that fits so well. And so you're selling it in a broad, so you need to find the timing and how it goes together. And does this player, you know, did someone perform well? Cause it's a great story and this all comes together and then, the, okay, go. And you got 15 seconds between yeah. a snap or, you know, between a possession or whatever it is to make sure you get in exactly those critical points and, and to make it sing and then tie it in a bow and toss it back. And same with some of the walk-off interviews or just yeah. the situation, like people don't know halftime. You know, I remember even, you know, some of the first and second, you know, intermissions with NHL stuff that is that people don't know that you were jumping through these hoops and climbing through this and the audio and this went out and you couldn't hear this. And like, there's just, there's so many factors that I think, um, viewers or people have no idea. And you're watching someone be calm, cool, collected, delivering a report or doing an interview or something. And it's like, man, you have no idea what goes into that. And so to this day, I still am really fortunate to be able to do sideline, um, for NFL games on Fox. And I love it with my whole heart. One, I love the NFL and, and two, I just, the atmosphere, everything and being on the field. And I love so much about it, but it, it reminds me and humbles me every time I'm doing it, that it's like, wow, there, there was so much credit, not to mention, especially to when you're outside the elements of it being, you know, 10 degrees or a hundred degrees or raining or this or that. So yeah, without a doubt that, um, that to me is, and will always be, I have so much respect for that. Cause it's, it is a hustle. So the challenging, most challenging role is the sideline, but which one do you like the best? Oh, the analyst role is, is my, is my everything. Um, I, I love the variety and even hosting or even, you know, studio, studio analyst stuff. Like I, I am so thankful and appreciative. You talked about, we need to talk, um, that show, I have a podcast, NBA flashbacks, so doing a little, little different stuff with iHeart and with the NBA, there's all different, um, roles that I'm so thankful to still be able to to do and practice, um, throughout the course of, of different seasons, but the analyst role and in the NBA is something that is, um, all of my greatest loves wrapped into one. And, and to me, that's, um, that's something where I just, every time I I sit in that chair and every time I'm watching a game or even just the preparation that goes into it, uh, that, that, that's it. That's it for me where, um, I, I can't say enough how much I, I just um, gained so much happiness and joy out of, out of doing that. 
I love that. So many different roles and moving parts. Uh, we celebrate that here in Attacking Third because we often have to keep things moving on the show. Uh, but this has been a joy to, to chat with you and something that we've been doing with all of our guests here as we close out episodes is we've sort of ended on a, a bit more of maybe a, a reflective question as we continue to celebrate Title IX. We've come a long way in the last 50 years in terms of uh, gender equality, and there's always work to be done. Uh, for you, how much further do you feel uh, we need to go and, and what are maybe some of your dreams for hopefully the next 50 years? Oh, 50 years. I hope that whatever dreams I could articulate now in 25 years, we are wildly past and that we probably right now can't even envision what it looks like and what it will feel like uh, for the next generation of young girls and young women as they continue to grow and have more opportunities. And I love how much we celebrate women. I love how much we celebrate this and Title IX and so many of the different firsts or the people, um, you know, really making strides and giving each other opportunities. But my goodness, I cannot wait for the day that, you know, there are certain areas or certain jobs or certain things that that's the last thing we're talking about. And that some little girl 20 years from now is like, wait, what do you mean? For oh my gosh, like you couldn't do this. A girl wasn't doing this. And those are my hopes that it it seems so wildly crazy uh, for for a woman or for a girl to to think about the fact that these opportunities didn't exist before. And and I hope that happens and I hope we get there and I hope we continue just to move forward in all areas. I love that. Uh, Sarah Kustak, thank you so much for joining and sharing your story with us. And we also like to thank our listeners. So thanks to our audience for joining us on Title IX Tuesdays. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Thank you so much to Sarah Kustak for joining us. What a great conversation. Up next, we have one of the most influential women in sports media. She was the first of so many different things. First woman television personality, sportscaster, NFL analyst on television, Leslie Visser. She talks to us about her experiences, how Title IX changed her career, uh, where she was when Title IX was enacted, and how she's seen Title IX and women being able to compete athletically change the sports media landscape. She even gives some really great advice that Sandra and I definitely take to heart. Take a listen to Leslie Visser. And today we are very lucky to be joined by an incredible trailblazer in sports and media, 
From CBS Sports Networks, we need to talk a television personality and only sportscaster, man or woman, to have worked on the network broadcast of the Final Four, the Super Bowl, the World Series, the NBA Finals, the Triple Crown, the Olympics, the U.S. Open, and the World Figure Skating Championship. First TV NFL analyst, welcome Leslie Visser to the show. Welcome, 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 welcome. Sandra, Lisa, I love this. I love young women. As you can imagine, when I started, it was sort of three of us, I think, <laughs> nationally. And now there are so many thousands that I love it. So thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. You know, uh, as women in, in sports media, of course, we are thrilled to be speaking with you. You're uh, a legend for so many across uh, the landscape in terms of sports, personalities, athletes, et cetera. And here on the show, we're celebrating 50 years of Title IX. And what we've been doing with all of our interviews here is sort of kicking off these celebrations with an early question at the top of the interviews. So for you, Leslie, personally, what does Title IX mean for you? I think Title IX, I think those 37 words changed society. And I remember I was in college when it was enacted. And the next year, of course, when Billie Jean beat Bobby Riggs, I always say, I think that was the seminal moment of the women's movement because her victory was about gender equity. It was about social equity, financial equity, everything that every female athlete ever dreamed of. And, you know, it took a while for the society to catch up with the law, but um, I love where it is today. The world of sports has changed so much in, in 50 years, especially in sports media. As you mentioned, there's three of us sitting here. That's how it was when you started. And now there's thousands and, and hundreds of thousands of women in sports media um, and us covering women's soccer. That's specifically what we do at Attacking Third. So in terms of Title IX and, and women in the space. How has the sports media industry changed over the last 50 years? Well, you guys are examples of it. You know, even when I started as a sports writer at the Boston Globe in 1974, uh, I covered Wimbledon, which was enormous and fabulous, but there just weren't women's sports that you covered. It, I went to college before Title IX. So everything in, in my own career, I wanted to cover the men's Final Four. I wanted to cover the Super Bowl. I wanted to cover the NBA. And I always was mad, though, as I went along, that the women's Final Four used to be held the same time as the men's. And the only time I ever got to go to the women's was in, I think, 1989. Uh, the men's Final Four was up in Seattle, Michigan, beat uh, Seton Hall in overtime, and the women's was in Tacoma. So it was from Seattle to Tacoma. So I got to go. But other than that, uh, I've never been. That's the only women's final four I've ever, ever been to. Wow. You know, you've, uh, you're someone who's been very open about your goals of being uh, a sports a sports writer, someone in the sports space from a very young age at a time where we're joking about it a little bit now where you're saying we're examples of the progress there. But it was a time where there were not a lot of women in sports writing in general. Was was that something that maybe altered your, your passion or sort of ignited your drive for, for being in sports? Uh, it was a little bit the reverse, Sandra. It was that I had the passion. I always say there are three non-negotiables that I believe both of you need, all women in, in media need, and maybe Lisa, as a collegiate athlete, you could speak to what you think athletes need. But I think in our end of the business, uh, you need, there are three elements you need. You need passion, 
you know, if you don't love it, don't do it because you'll be angry that somebody else got an assignment or somebody else made a little more money. Uh, I think you need knowledge. Knowledge is unassailable. You know, I, I knew how to move the runner over when I was eight years old, six to four to three, double play. I knew I could recognize a safety blitz. I knew the difference between zone and man to man. And so that gave me confidence. Knowledge gives you confidence. And the third thing is stamina. I mean, you guys are already at a very high level, but you know, I always say that Ferris wheel comes down <laughs> mm-hmm. and you better have some kind of fortitude to hang in there. But uh, like you mentioned, Sandra, when I started, I think we used to laugh that we will have made it when we weren't on each other's Christmas card list because there were only <laughs> like four of us, five of us. So I, I, I love that there are thousands of women now that I haven't even met. I love that. I love those three truths that you have. You asked me the only one I would add, if I'm going to take those three and then add a fourth to it, it's hard work because there's something that working hard and outworking people, even though you may not be the best, if you can outwork them and be willing to try, I think that's something that can get you pretty far as an athlete and in this industry from what I've experienced. But for you, Leslie, you have quote from your website, a trailblazing legacy of first it, then it lists out over a dozen of firsts that you've accomplished. We listed off a couple at the top of the show, but first woman to win a sports Emmy lifetime achievement award first and only woman to handle a super bowl trophy presentation, the NBA finals, the world series, the final four super bowl sideline. So many of your firsts are for women. And a lot of times it's first and only woman to do that. Can you walk Walk us through some of those big first moments that you accomplished and, and how did it feel to be the first? Were you aware of it as it was happening? Uh, I really tried just what you said. I tried to keep my head down and I tried to treat every assignment as a quality at bat. I remember once when I was writing for the Boston Globe, somebody wrote me a letter. It was all letters then, of course, nothing, no computers, which also meant that you had to remember everything in your head. You couldn't look up anything on deadline. You either knew it or you didn't. But I remember someone wrote me a letter and said, um, Leslie Visser, you wrote the hell out of badminton. And I thought, that's great, you know, because somebody cared about badminton and wanted to read it. And I really worked hard on it. But uh Yeah, a lot of it came to me very young. Maybe you guys have both felt this. You're both already very accomplished. But I think some of it, I was protected by my innocence, if that makes sense. I'd wanted to be a sports writer from the time I was 10. I I really didn't think television, uh, that came along maybe eight years after I was writing for The Globe. But The Globe, Boston Globe, was always voted the number one sports section in America. So, you know, even as a... 21-year-old, I was covering Wimbledon in the NBA finals, and I was the first woman to cover the NFL as a beat, which just came with so many challenges, you know, that, um, you know, back then, people didn't think anything of, I'm sure you guys have been hit on too, but um, I think my method for that was humor. I think that's what worked for me. Like, I would say to a player, now your mother didn't teach you to talk like that. So, you know, players don't want to embarrass their mothers. Although I will tell you, what was it? A couple of years ago, the Super Bowl was in Atlanta and I had a baseball cap pulled down low and a jacket on. And, you know, sometimes people can't tell 
your age or whatever. And um, so some player came over. I mean, I've been hearing this for 40 years. You know, some player, yo, baby, yo, baby, give me a call after the game. And I looked at him and I pushed my cap back and I said, are you kidding? I'm on Medicare. <laughs> it was a riot. And he went like, remember that scene in Home Alone, you know? Yeah. I love that. I love- Oh my gosh. Let's stay with some of this. Let's stay with some of this enthusiasm here. Uh, When you're chatting a bit from going from, from writing to transitioning to TV, when you're making that transition from a sports writer to actually being on television, again, another first for so many things. How was the industry different from when you transitioned to, to television, right? The concept of, of people seeing your face, hearing your voice, you know, watching your body language versus just simply kind of reading your byline. Oh, that's a great question. There was a lot going on then. Uh, number one, I knew all the sports, but I had no idea. Uh, and I, you know, I didn't start in Albuquerque or Des Moines. I went right to CBS Network at a time when there were only three networks. And I was very conscious uh, of um, my presentation. You know, did I did I look right? And there were no other women. There were no other role models. So uh, there had been athletes. You know, the great Donna Deverona and people like that. But, um, you know, there, uh, Phyllis George had been before me, was a great friend of mine, but CBS came to me and they said, we had a woman who knows television, but she didn't know sports. So we're going to hire a woman who knows sports and we'll teach her the TV. And, you know, I just was very, uh, self-conscious, I guess. Yeah. About the way I looked and, you know, hoped it went well, but I knew that I could speak on whatever it was and I could speak on it live because I, in my own mind, I said, well, okay, this is, I'm flexing a different set of muscles here that um, instead of writing on deadline, I'm going to speak on deadline. So that adjustment, you know, it, it took a little while and the guys at CBS were great to me as had been the writers at the globe. So, um, you know, I had a couple horrific art. You want to hear some of my embarrassing moments? Yes, please. You know, when I speak, I say, okay, do you guys, you want to hear the profound moments? You know, I was at the fall of the Berlin Wall. Or do you want to hear the embarrassing moments? And what do you think the percentage is? Mostly want to hear the embarrassing. All right, here's one. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, pretty bad. Um, So I go from uh, print to TV. And um, one of the first assignments I had, well, the first was the Lakers Celtics. Like I wasn't nervous enough. 84 considered the greatest series in NBA history, but I did the U S open. And um, there was a player, Hannah Mandlikova, who was from Prague. Martina had been her idol and she had a great summer. She went from 55th in the world up to fifth. And she actually won the U S open that year. So now I'm out on court 16 and we had the great Brent Musburger. And he said, let's go out to Leslie Visser, who's with Hannah Mandlikova. She just won her match early round. And I said, Hannah, to what do you attribute your sudden rise in the rankings? And Hannah says, did I mention she was from Prague and I was kind of new at TV, right? I mentioned both of those, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So I say, you know, to what you do you attribute your rise in the rankings? And she says, well, I think it is my new couch. So I thought, I don't know, maybe she's sleeping better or something. So I said, oh, did you get some new furniture? To which she replied on network television, don't be ridiculous, Billie Jean King, my new couch. Gotcha. Oh my gosh, coach to couch. 
Yep. You got it. And you're on, and you're live on top of all of this. You're live. And, and CBS played it a million times. Oh, remember that time, Leslie? <laughs> so I just laughed. I laughed. I said, really? What is, is, it, is this, this, that tap into what you were talking about? Like just sort of like trying to still keep that sense of humor about everything. I love Definitely. that. I mean, the great writer Nora Ephron said, uh, write it down. Everything's a bit. It, it is. If you can't laugh at yourself in those moments, then what are you going to do with it? How did you learn from moments like that and in, in being live? Were were there reactions to you being a female interviewing versus a male or any reactions like that? Oh, yeah. Uh, I get letters at the Globe. I don't want to read you or any other broad in the Boston Globe. And then when I went to TV, there were people, not so much the players were pretty good. The coaches, I was from Mars. And I did, I could see it from their point of view. You know, all, I mean, the wives hated me because what was I doing? You know, trying to talk to their husband, the offensive lineman. But um, I think that everybody was adjusting. It was a true frontier. And uh, yeah, we all did a, a lot of adjusting. And, you know, I think the fact that you know, I was the first, now I'm the oldest. So I've, I've hung in quite a bit. What have you learned from those types of moments where you were faced with that kind of discrimination or uh, for being a female or being old, which you're not? Uh, well, at the time in the beginning, I, I had such an attitude of gratitude that I really, I never complained. There was no such thing as HR anyway, but I remember Covering the Patriots, of course, there were no provisions for equality. Actually, the credential I wore said no women or children in the press box. That, and there was no ladies room, right? So it was, it was really an alternate universe for women. So um, I remember that I'd have to wait in the parking lots after the game, but I was covering it for the Boston Globe. So my editor didn't want to hear. I couldn't get the right quotes or whatever. So it was this mad scramble out in the parking lot because that's where I had to interview the players before they either went home or got on the Pittsburgh Steeler bus or whatever. And uh, John Madden used to tell me I was caught in a two-way go, which is, um, it's a term for a defensive back who has to make a decision. You know, am I going to go up to cover the slot receiver? Am I going to go over to the wide receiver? What am I going to do? And has no help. And uh, I, that was, I had to make choices. You know, should it be the quarterback for the Patriots who lost, or should I go over to the quarterback for Kansas City who won because he won the game? So it, but the, it taught me to be a real, a true reporter. I mean, I had to do it all myself. And um, I, I really, in some ways, I'm grateful for it. You know, it sounds weird. No, no, it's, I just, it doesn't sound weird. It's just, even, even listening to you talking about it now, knowing that there were people in your position before us, like before Alisa Roman or before Sandra Herrera that, that had to go through these types of things, right? And uh, the concept of they're now being able to have a generation and go and point and say, look, oh, there's a first, Right. But it's still it's still happening. There are still young people, young girls who don't see people that look like them in certain roles. Right. Whether it's, you know, young boys, young girls, black, Asian, Latino, et cetera. For for you, what's what's your advice to, to women, to young people who who want to achieve something, but maybe don't see anyone who looks like them there in, in whatever space it is? 
Well, I'd say number one, whatever it is that you dream of, whatever it is you want to do, I'm the example that it can be done because the job did not exist for women. So it is. It's what my mom told me when I was 10 years old. You, you might have seen. She said, we were living in Cincinnati. My family moved all the time. And she said, what do you want to be? And I said, I want to be a sports writer. And my mom didn't say, oh, you can't do that. Girls don't do that. You know, at that time, really, it was a my mom was a teacher, a teacher, a nurse, a domestic, uh, a house housekeeper or a, a homemaker, uh, all noble jobs. But um, it wasn't much beyond that. And when she asked me, I said, I want to be a sports writer. And she said, that's great. Sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk. So I, I would say, yeah, really um, was very profound. But I would say that's what you have to do. That Yes, you may be the first Latino, the first Black, the first Hispanic, the first Ukrainian, we hope, <laughs> to cover sports here. Um, that um, you have to say, you know, I, I deserve as much of a chance as anybody does. And it, it can happen. That is, you know, what I love about sports, and Lisa, as an athlete, I, I think you'd appreciate this. What I love most, and maybe, Sandra, you were too, I just know that, I went to Boston College and Marquette kicked our behind every year. <laughs> yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> so, um, but what I love about sports, it's the great meritocracy. Like it doesn't matter, you know, where your father went to college. It doesn't matter how much money your mother has. Like Lisa, either you scored the goal or somebody hits the jumper or somebody sinks the putt. And it, that's what I love about it. For, for you as a young person into this career, did you play sports? Were you active in playing sports? And maybe now knowing that Title IX is out there, um, how do you think that having Title IX now for women, young girls that want to work in sports media, being able to compete at a young age, like myself, being very fortunate to be able to compete collegiately and then transition into this role as a sports media person, how do you think that benefits them or, or changes the trajectory of a career? Uh, it, the whole thing's enormous. I mean, this is going to sound like the 1800s to you guys. So you're going to have to have me on again <laughs> to talk about more modern. But this is a true story. When I was in high school, I went to high school in the Berkshires of Massachusetts. And um, at that time, when I played, there were six people on a side in basketball. And I was one of the rovers, which meant only two of us could cross midcourt. I know it sounds like black and white, but uh, it, there were, it was something like one in 600 girls then played high school sports. Now it's one out of every two. And I think everything that you learned in sports, even I learned at you know, not a very competitive level, but everything you learn is you learn how to be a teammate. You know these. You learn how to pass the ball. You learn how to strive for yourself. I think someone did a study, and there aren't that many female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. All of them played on a college team. That's a that's quite the stat. I don't know if Lisa and I knew that A and B. I'm not too sure how many of our listeners might know that either. Uh, but well, that's a, that's quite the stat drop. Yeah, I'm not sure if it is anymore, but for a while, Meg Whitman played lacrosse at Princeton. The ones you think about, uh, the woman uh, who ran um, Land Lakes, Butter, played basketball, I think, at Baylor. So anyway, for a while, that was true. And I think that's not a coincidence. 
Well, Leslie, when you were talking about the qualities to have in this industry, they, so much of them go hand in hand with being an athlete, right? Knowing your stuff, knowing your sport, being good at your sport, um, as so much of it goes hand in hand. And, and there are so many life lessons that you learn being an athlete. Um, and we've seen that in the league that Sandra and I cover in the NWSL, so many of the players that are on the players association, helping lead the league do a very good job at it because they are athletes and they're captains of their team. So the leadership really transitions over. Yeah, it's enormous. And it's not uh, the only route there. I mean, the best uh, since I've covered the NFL for 45 years now, and the best play-by-play person in history is Al Michaels, and he never played one down of football in his life. So it isn't, you know, I always say men aren't born with the genetic blueprint to know or love sports that um, I loved it and uh, I learned it and I had a passion for it. But I think definitely athletes who want to go into this job, uh, they have learned those skills. And I'll tell you what was very, not intimidating for me, I used to laugh about it, but, you know, I played you know, high school field hockey, right? And I told you the basketball rover. And I went from there to like working with Dan Marino and Boomer Esiason and Phil Sims. And, you know, it's like they would talk about, you know, when they got to the conference championship and all I had was like, you know, a beat frontier regional, two goals. (laughs) I love that. I love that you've been dropping some some wisdom that you've received from others. uh, And uh, I love that you've dropped the, 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 genetic blueprint quote, because I know for me, that's one of my favorite of, of yours. Um, I would love to ask you, and we've been asking this of our of our guests on the show and celebrating um, uh, Title IX. You know, we've, we've come a long way in the last 50 years, right? In just talking to you now and, and, and you being willing to share your experiences with us and, and in our audience as well, um, in terms of gender equity and equality. Uh, but for you, how much further do you feel we need to go? And, and perhaps what are some of your own hopes and dreams for, for the next 50 years? Well, I saw it, I've saw it myself for years that um, women's tennis, pe- people at Wimbledon, just as much, if not more, wanted to see the women players as they did the men. So that can happen, that people can have a, a surmounting uh, passion for women's sports. And I think the 99 World Cup was about the greatest thing that ever happened in this country. And um, I don't know, were you guys born then? Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but it was, um, matter of fact, I just uh, spent the night up at Donna Deverona's house up in uh, Connecticut. We're friends for 40 years. And we were just talking about this, how, you know, Donna and Billie Jean, they pounded those halls of Congress for 50 years. And Donna was the chairman of the FIFA, the World Cup. And we were, I just was saying, you must be so proud because it took so many moving parts to bring that together. And then that team was so fantastic. And all the girls were so smart. Women were smart and they were darling. And I felt like um, this is what America can be. I would like to ask you guys, though, why is it? Do you think right now for soccer, we more love the event than we do a league? Oh, good question. And I love I love I love Leslie's flipping the script at the end of the uh, (laughs) the end of the interview. I think I think right now women's soccer in America is at a very, very transitional, transformational type of moment. 
And I think for the first time in a very, very long time, we're starting to see the bridging of that gap where the large event is spilling over into, you know, following a league, you know, communities in their respective markets are following their local club. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we just witnessed coming out of, uh, you know, the, the season that took place in 2021 and now coming into 2022 and seeing not one, but two California clubs expanding the league and having such a huge turnout uh, that they did. I think it was almost around 10K or so uh, in terms of the folks who were going out to support these two clubs. We're starting to see that that very wide gap start to get a little smaller and people are recognizing that it's women who are in these same spaces. They're the same women that you're watching on these big, large, grand international stages and they're playing in your local markets. So uh, I'm excited for this very, very special time in women's soccer. It's, um, as you know, it's such a pull on the entertainment dollar has to be split so many ways, but yeah. that's what, um, I thought it was lamentable that after, uh, what was it, when they were runner-up in the World Cup, I live in Florida, and I went to see Hope Solo was with the Boca Raton Club. And I'm not kidding, this wasn't long after, and there were like 800 people there. Yeah. And I, I thought, think it also has to do with just, um, like we're, we talked a lot about on this episode, how the landscape has changed a little bit, but I think it also has a lot to do with um, how people tap into their sports, right? How you going from from writing to, to television, and these were the two the two mediums, right, in which people connected to the sports landscape. And now it's just we're seeing the other involvement of that is right, right. yeah, as well. You know, where people can watch these games on on Paramount Plus. There's a quick plug, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> you know Thank you. Saying? And you and you know what else? I think uh, a lot of people might say, "Oh, okay, those Hollywood stars threw in to buy a team," but it's great. You know, yeah, they, they're going to bring more is. eyes. They're going to bring passion. You know, I, I think that's a wonderful move. And, you know, I don't want to hear from anybody who criticizes it. Yeah, I love it. And we're just going to get to see the uh, continuing evolving of all of this uh, moving forward. This was delightful. Leslie Visser, thank you so much for joining us and sharing so much of your story with us. We also like to thank our listeners. So thank you all so much for joining us along. Follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third for more. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you listen to your podcast shows. We're also available as videos. Subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash Attacking Third. Thank you once again, everyone, for joining us. For Sandra Reda, Lisa Roman, and Leslie Wilson. This was Attacking Third. Thank you, guys. I'm just going to start listening to you guys all the time. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Hey everyone, this is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle, just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Viore gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger and don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viore.com sports and discover the versatility of Viore clothing.